This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. Erin, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. When you emailed me, I read your story, and I was kind of like, what you went through, I think so many people could relate to. And I think it will help so many people. So I'm really excited to just have you share your story with everybody. Well, thanks. It's an honor to be here. And I appreciate the, uh, like I told you in the email, I've been listening to you. So my cousin, who's from your hometown, emailed me or texted me probably about two months ago. And I've been listening to these stories. And the more I listened, the more I just felt that nudge, like, hey, I think need to get this out there. There might be someone that could benefit. So well, let's go ahead and jump in. I like to get like kind of a little intro of, you know, are you married, have kids? Like, where do you live? Like, just so people have some context for you and maybe like what you do for work or I don't know, whatever you want to share, just yeah. to give us some context sure. and then we can jump into your story. Yeah, for sure. So I've been in Colorado for two years, just south of Denver in the Castle Rock area, if you're familiar with that. We lived in Washington in the Seattle area for 18 years where I met my wife. And that's all part of the story. <laughs> we have four kids. Uh, our oldest is, she's going to be 15 on December 31st. Uh, three three girls and, and one boy. So our son is 12. And then we've got 10 and 8-year-old daughters as well. For work, I've been doing business development, sales, my whole career. So, awesome. so that's what I do. Cool. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and jump into your story. I grew up in, in Idaho, if you're familiar with Burley, Idaho. Do you know where that is? I think I actually do know where that is. Is it not too far from Utah? Yeah, it's pretty close to the border. Okay, yeah. yeah. I've, about 40 I've been minutes. Really... Okay, cool. Yeah. Most people have driven through there. Driven through, Station yes. or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I grew up on a farm, farm there. Uh, on my dad's side, very long and lengthy history of being members of the church. Um, going back to Edward Partridge, he was the first bishop of the church who met Joseph Smith and got converted and the whole thing. And and so that's a very long and devout kind of line of membership in the church. My mom, she was a convert to the church. She went to Rick's uh, and that's where my parents met and grew up on the farm that my grandpa started uh, next door to him. Mm -hmm. So, so growing up, we were active members of the church. I was baptized when I was eight on the surface. Everything looked great. You know, we're, Four, four kids, myself, my brother, and my two sisters were showing up to church every Sunday and everything looks good. But behind the scenes, there was a lot of turmoil. My parents, they fought a lot. Uh, I'd stay up at night worried, listening to them fighting, and it got pretty escalated sometimes, at least in my kid's mind. <laughs> it was it was pretty heated. Everything kind of came crashing down was when I was nine and my mom, we were visiting my grandma up in, in Washington. And my mom sat me down one day and she said, Hey, I'm going to tell you something. Don't tell your dad this, but I'm going to divorce him. And, and so all my fears, you know, my worries that I'd stayed up at night all this time, I, they all came shattering and my kind of insides just shattered. <laughs> it's hard to describe. And then I had to keep that secret, right? She was going back to tell him in a couple of weeks. And so and she told me some other stuff about, about my dad that made me angry. And anyway, the whole thing, I, I started just getting very bitter. Short stories, the divorce happened. We all moved up to Washington. After not very long, we stopped going to church. 
for me personally inside, I was just really angry at my dad and what he had done to the family. I was angry at the church, you know, because he is a very devout member and kind of very firm in the faith. And so I equated the church with my dad and all these problems in my life, <laughs> you know, to, to all of this. And so I started acting out at a young age. I, I mean, looking back, I can't believe I was so young, but I was, uh, I would seek out kids that I knew that were members of the church and like bully them at school, a rough crowd of kids. I'd started hanging out with, we would go and vandalize businesses, throw rocks through windows and wait for the cops to come and like try to run away. And, you know, we were just doing stuff, drink, we'd go and we'd find parents alcohol. And I was only like 10 years old, you know, so I was oh getting, my, wow, and I that's was young. Yeah. The thing is, is it wasn't curiosity. It was out of anger at God, anger mm -hmm. at the church, anger at my dad. It was all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to have anything to do with my dad, nothing with the church. After a few years of not seeing him, my mom sat me down and she's like, hey, you should probably go see your dad this summer. I know you probably don't want to, but it's probably a good thing. And I was like, I don't want to go, whatever. Anyway, I ended up going. And when I visited my dad, he said, the first thing I said to him was, I was like, I'm not going to church. And I was like, mom told me I don't have to go to church and I'm not going. And my dad was like, well, you don't have to agree with it, but as long as you're in my house, you're going to, I'm not going to leave you at home on Sundays. So you're coming to church, you know, I'm like 11, 12 years old or something like that. Right. And so mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, you know, and so I went, but what was interesting was, geez, this is something that parents out there should uh, really <clears throat> understand if you've got kids that are wayward you don't know the light that you carry. And, you know, within just a few days of, of being there in my dad's home, he had gotten remarried to my mom, my mom, Susan, I've got two moms. <laughs> so he and, and Susan had really made an effort in the last year and a half or so since they'd been married to bring the spirit into the home. My dad's goal was to the mistakes that he had made, he wanted to totally rectify those. So they were going to the temple once a month, even though it was a three and a half hour trip at the time for them. They were doing their family home evening. You know, they're just doing all the different things to really make sure that the spirit was there. There was one morning when I was sitting at the table with my dad, all of a sudden it dawned on me, I recognized the spirit. You know, I'd been baptized. And I received the gifts of the Holy Ghost. And it was like the first time that I'd actually recognized it, what it was. And I'd been away from it for a few years and rebellious. And all of a sudden I felt that. And I said, dad, I was like, I want to live here. <laughs> I was like, I need to, I need to, I didn't, I need to move back. And my dad stopped and he like put everything down. He's a good cook. He was, you know, making breakfast, probably cinnamon rolls or something. And he got emotional and he was like, it's kind of like Alma in, in the scriptures where he's praying for his son. And he, uh, he just kind of broke down and he just told me that his prayers had been answered, you know? So that was a hard thing too, because as I prayed about it and it's miraculous, but a vision was given to me at a young age and 
the Lord showed me two pathways. And he said, if you go back, you're not strong enough to be able to withstand what you've been doing, to leave your friends, to do this. And four years from now, this is where you're going to be. And I saw just a mess. <laughs> and then I saw the other path. If you stay in this protected environment where you can kind of be incubated and nurtured in the gospel, well, this is your path. And I knew, and I'm glad that God gave me that vision because I felt it in my heart and I saw it in my mind. And I knew at a young age, I had to make that choice. I had to drop my friends. I had to quit communications and just kind of cold turkey, just start over. So I did that and I didn't even go back for my trip from my dad. And it was a hard thing because my mom, she's confused, right? I'm telling her on the phone, I'm not going back. And we're, we're going back and forth for two hours. And it's a whole conversation escalated to the point where, where she said, well, we can't talk anymore. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I took that as, I don't want to talk to you ever again, type of a thing. And then my heart shattered. <laughs> And, and broke because my mom had just, in my mind as a kid, my mom had re- abandoned me and rejected me and said, hey, if, well, if you're going to go back to the church and if, and that's a whole story of, you know, she left the church and, you know, looking back, she was just being a mama bear. She felt like the church wasn't a good environment. There were things that were not right with it, but I knew through the spirit that it was true and I knew it was right and I knew it was good for me. So it was hard and I had to make that choice. Do I leave my mom and go this way and accept the church and rejection. And so that's what I did just cause I, cause the spirit was so strong. I knew it years later. I should say this years later when I talked with mom and being an adult now, I, I can understand where she was coming from. And I'm, I'm a hundred percent sure that she didn't say, Hey, I'm never going to talk to you again, you know, but as a kid, that's how I took it. I should, I should, mm-hmm. I should definitely say that in her defense. <laughs> it's funny so. when we look back as parents, if we look back at what our our parents did and it's it's interesting because they're just figuring it out as they go just like we are and it's you know it's interesting to look back at the decisions that our parents made and see like okay you know they were doing the best they that they could and doing what they thought was best oh yeah for sure well that was part of later on the healing process it was you know maybe i'll talk about that later with how i was able to build a relationship again with my mom. But yeah, being a parent now, I know. Yeah, I wonder what things I've said. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They'll come back and bite me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I feel the same way. <laughs> but, yeah. So, I mean, so I did that. That was hard. But I pushed that down and put it in the back of my mind, that trauma. It's kind of, I guess you could equate it to like PTSD or something. Like some mm-hmm. some big traumatic thing happens and something in your brain snaps in your heart and you just shove it in the back yep. and you're like, I'm not going to deal with that thing. Mm-hmm. I started reading the book of Mormon a lot. Um, I just turned my whole life around. It was miraculous at a young age. I read the book of Mormon. I'd never read Moroni 10, three to five. I didn't know it was such a famous thing in the church, but when I read it, I got this huge desire to pray. And hey, is this true? Is this stuff true? And and one night I'm kneeling down, I say the prayer because I'm thinking, wow, if this is true, there's a God. And all this is true. There's Jesus, salvation, all this stuff. So I prayed and, and, you know, you hear people talk about this all the time. But for me, it was like this 
overwhelming just rush of love just swept over me. And I was so excited. My heart started pounding and I jumped up and I was like, wow. And then I ran up and I told my dad. And in that moment, when I was like 12 or whatever, I knew I wanted to go on a mission. And that was like my, I was like, do people know this is in here? (laughs) What the heck? So that was my goal, like all through like junior high, high school was like, I got to go on a mission, you know? And, And so I lived my life with that in mind. Later in high school, though, the the young ladies happened. So I started making some mistakes, even though I still had that with my mission. And the spirit told me not to do certain things. I was weak and I and I kind of went down that a, a path that I probably shouldn't have cleaned stuff up and was able to go on a mission. I should say, too, that with the temple, I, I should have been looking back way more uh, intentional about going through the temple and prepared myself for it like spiritual things you've got to like spiritually prepare yourself Mm -hmm. and if you're out doing stuff with a young lady the night before and then you go to the temple well that's not the best way to prepare yourself right and so my temple experience was actually kind of traumatic (laughs) just all the stuff in there that was I just wasn't spiritually prepared for it so that was another thing I put in the back of my head was the weirdness of the temple (laughs) and went on a mission because I knew and I felt the spirit tell me it's time to go. While I'm on my mission, it was awesome. I, I was all in every day, just, just going for it. Went to Germany, Frankfurt. It was hard. Language was hard. People didn't want the gospel. I, you know, going back to that experience and I'm like sitting there like, well, no, you don't understand. You know, like <laughs> while I was on my mission, I, I got this about a year in, I got this really strong desire to, gain a testimony of the savior and i spent six months every morning i'd wake up a little bit early i woke up an hour early so i could exercise and then spend about 45 minutes in jesus the christ and the new testament and i would pray every morning for like a testimony and i would read and study and one morning it it was awesome It, it happened my companion was asleep in the other room and I was reading over his, like the week of the, of the atonement. And all of a sudden, I felt that kind of like what I'd felt before, this, this love come over me. And all of a sudden, and thoughts coming into my mind. I have this poem that I wrote back then that it all flowed out. And it, you'll have to share that with me after so we can share it with listeners. Okay. Yeah. If you're okay with that. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've given this out in elders forms and stuff for presents and stuff over the years. But man, for me, it was so personal. The words came flowing off of this and it entered in my heart. And then at the end, I was just like, it's true. You know, when it's good that I had this experience because while on my mission, probably about three months later, something came to mind that had happened with a young lady before my mission that I hadn't talked to anyone about. And I thought that it was resolved, but I got that little kind of nudge, like, hey, you know, that's something. So I went and I talked to the bishop president about it. And I was just thinking it was going to be like, oh, hey, everything's okay. But no, it was actually, whoa, we got to go talk to a general authority and you might go home. Hmm. And I was like, ooh. And I was like, okay, well, this is where it's real. Because if what I experienced in the atonement and the feelings that I had, all right, then I'll do it. If I have to repent and if it means going home and that's cool. You know, I was released from being zone leader and stuff like that. You know, as a junior companion again, and I didn't care. I was like, 
so I, I ended up not getting sent home, but I got released and all this stuff. But I was actually a whole different missionary that last year or nine months of my mission than before because I had experienced cleansing of the atonement and I knew that, that it, what it was. And so I was testifying on a whole different level. It wasn't just like book knowledge. So it's good I had that experience <laughs> because when I got home after my mission, I was pretty good for about a year. And then I slipped back into doing stuff with young young ladies again. I, I just, it was really an addiction. I don't even know how to describe it. I, I was like looking for someone that I wanted all these qualities and a wife and all this. And I wanted, my desires were over here, but my addiction was over here. And so I'd kind of prey on, and I feel really bad saying this, but a lot of young ladies and I would go after, you know, girls intentionally that I knew wouldn't be over here so i'm going to byu and i'm doing all this stuff and i'm on paper and looking at least in my mind i thought i was looking like i was checking the boxes and doing the stuff but on the side i'm like got this little dark little secret thing and that just kind of went on and when over here when i would meet a, a young lady that was like everything that i was looking for what would happen would be uh, we'd get to a certain point and then i'd freak out and I didn't know why. Like I would like have a panic attack. I didn't know it was a panic attack at the time, but I would get severe anxiety thinking, oh, whoa, we got to commit. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. And just anxiety. So then I'd rush over here and then I'd like kind of use women, you know, and and this cycle just kept going on and on. I would go to a, a, a new ward. So about every six months, I'd, I'd do all my sins, go talk to a bishop, He'd be like, okay, do this little repentance thing. I'd go to another ward and then I'd start over. And anyway, it was like mm -hmm. crazy. In my mind, I didn't I didn't realize that I had like this problem as an addiction, but it was always going back to that yeah. source and trying to feed that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm caught in this little, in the middle. I've got, I want my real desires over here. I've got my addiction over here. So what do I do, right? Well, after I graduated, I received actually a really strong spiritual impression that I needed to move up to live in Washington with my grandma, of all things. And I'm like, my grandma? <laughs> that's that's pretty crazy. Good Lord, why are you telling me to go to my grandma? I'm 25 years old, and where am I going to find a wife in my grandma's house? <laughs> but um, Heavenly Father, is he knows what he's doing. So I, I moved up there, moved in with my grandma. And what's interesting is I met my now wife in like two weeks at the singles work. Wow. And, what, and when I met her, there was something about her that was just, it was the second time that I, that I met her. Actually, I'd met her in a group thing first, but I was in church in the singles ward. I saw her walk in and I was like, man, there's something about her that I need to get to know her better. And I did and started getting to know her and, and everything about her was just like, pure <laughs> you know everything i wasn't you know and and she was she'd lived such a clean life and she was planning on preparing to go on a mission and stuff like that and she just lived really close to the lord and and i was like that is someone that i need to be prepared for and i'm not <laughs> you know so while she was on her mission we wrote and i prayed that i could be up to the spiritual level that she was. And I actually got called to be elder scorn president. Like right when she left, I was like, oh, I guess that's the answer to that prayer. So I, I was serving a lot. I was doing stuff, but these little addiction things I hadn't dealt with 
I kind of started falling back into that. Everyone, I, I'd last a good six months or whatever, and then I'd slip, and then uh, and then I'd slip again. And I'm like, gosh, what's going on? She came back, and short story is on our first date. Like in my mind, I had built up like this is the epitome of who I need to marry. I'm pretty good. I've messed up a few times, but I I can be good. And I had a panic attack the day that we went on our first date, like full blown. I go running in the bathroom. I'm splashing cold water on my face. And I, di I didn't know what anxiety was. And it was just the thought of like having to commit. And so, I mean, if you call it being together after the mission, it was only, it was only like a few weeks. And I was like, just a wreck. And so she's like, I think I'm going to go this way. <laughs> so in those two years, I'm like, man, I'm a, I'm a mess. My Henry father, I asked to be released from Elvis Corm. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm a mess. I got to figure stuff out. In the midst of this, I'm I'm just so hard on myself because I thought that she was the one. Now we're broken up, and I'm still doing all the stuff that I shouldn't be doing, and I'm, you know I'm just going down these dark thoughts, these dark path in my head. I got to the point where I was contemplating, you know, suicide actually, and I drove up to the if you've been up to the Seattle area, there's the Puget Sound there, you know, and and I drove up to the water, and I'm like just looking at the water and I'm like, man, I'm jacking up my life. I'm screwing up all these girls' lives. I'm like, you know, this and this and this, and I'm a mess. So I'm like, I'm just going to drive in there and just end everything. It's going to be better if I'm not around. If you've ever been in those situations, just that dark and evil feeling that you feel that kind of comes and almost consumes you. And in that moment, it's kind of like in, in Alma where he just says, Jesus have mercy. It was kind of like that. The next thought I had, just a little quiet thought was say a prayer. And so I just said, Heavenly Father, help me. That's all I said. <laughs> In like 10 seconds, my grandpa calls <laughs> and he's like, he called me my boy. He's like, he's like, my boy. He's like, I feel an impression I need to call you. And I'm like a mess. I'm sitting there bawling like a I'm like, well, Grandpa, and I, and I just let it all out. And I was like, man, I feel depressed. And I'm like, no, no, no. I tell him the whole thing. And he's like, oh, he's like, I know how you feel. He's like, when your grandma died, I I felt like that. I was so, you know, and he just related to me. And and he pulled me out. So, again, I knew that, uh, you know, for the second time through another earthly father, my grandpa, I grew up next door to him, and he's pretty much a dad. So, Henry Father answered my prayer through a father. I'm like, okay, so God wants me to still be here. So now what, you know? And I started just praying for answers. And it was really cool because just bit by bit, he would lead me to something when I was ready for it and in my time. So the short story is in over the process of two years, I was led to an addictions recovery program. I was led to um, help and resources for anxiety and depression and how to deal with that. I wrote a whole book on, on that and my experiences with that. And I was able to learn how to treat and, and repent for all those girls that I'd used over the years to the extent that I remembered their names. I was able to apologize. I was able to just repent, you know, and feel that, that just cleansing. The addictions recovery 
think I got a sponsor and I was led to that sponsor and was able to go through that program to, to sort of reform. I would take young ladies out on dates and my sole purpose was to make them feel like angels. And I would just, you know, treat them really great and take them home. And the biggest compliment was when I was on a consulting trip for work down in Arizona and this young lady at the end, she's like, there has never been a guy that's treated me like you have before. They always just want to use me. And she was, she thanked me. And I was like, man, thank you, Heavenly Father. And two weeks later, I was reintroduced to my wife and we were married six months later. You know, since that time, it's been about 18 years or something, 17. It's really cool how, how God uses my weaknesses um, for strengths. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been able to serve in a lot of different areas. I've been able to, when I was ward mission leader in one of the wards, we were getting a lot of people who had addictions coming um, and getting taught. And I felt impressed to be a part of the addictions recovery program and, and just volunteer there in the stake and then bring all these investigators to it. And that was amazing because I was able to, you know, be part of the addictions recovery. So many people we had, we had in our war, 25 people get baptized one year and wow. 12 the next. And yeah, I'm just tons of, and it was because of the addictions recovery stuff. It was, isn't the addiction recovery meeting the most spiritual meeting ever. It's just, people are so honest about their experience with the savior and the atonement and how they've changed. And it's a breath of fresh air. It is so beautiful. Yeah, if you want to experience the atonement, you go to addictions recovery. Yep. Like for sure. To experience the atonement, you don't have to become an addict. <laughs> right. Right. But that's about as low as you can get. Yeah. For me, was when you're mm -hmm. you're crippled by that, and he releases you from that, and just shares his love with you. He's like, I don't care mm -hmm. that you're whatever the addiction is. You know, mm -hmm. I don't care about that. I care about you, and I know you, and you feel that. Mm -hmm. And it's cool when you see other people, yeah, the light turn on and they feel that as well. Right. Um, and good for them for keep to keep coming back when you fall and you just keep coming and you just mm -hmm. keep coming. That's life. Yeah. So I, I did that. There've been other experiences where, so I was, I was a high counselor for, for a while and I was in a ward and I felt impressed to share parts of this story that I'm sharing. Uh, in particular, the first part, you know, where your dad leaves you in the divorce and stuff. Mm -hmm. And after that meeting, a mother and her son came up and shared some similar things. And I was able to fully relate with that kid. I felt impressed to go to the side um, after find a room, talk to him one-on-one. -on -one. His mom's there. I brought another guy in there too. And we, we just had a chat and then give him a blessing and pray together. Wow. You know, I've been in other positions, you know, where guys have made mistakes that I made and you, you kneel down together and you pray and you feel the power of the atonement, you know, in those moments. I mean, the, on and on and on. And I've been in a lot of elders corn presidencies and, you know, guys with depression that won't, don't want to talk to anybody, you know, and then you can be an instrument in God's hands to bring them up. That's what you're doing right now with your podcast. Anyway. So that's, so that's my story. I don't know if you have any questions. Yeah, I do. Well, first of all, such an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing it. When you're talking about like you were to the point where you were suicidal, you were so consumed with anxiety and depression. 
What advice would you have for somebody that's struggling in that way with anxiety and depression? Well, there's a lot more resources now than there were 15 years ago. The first is if you realize that you've got that challenge to not hold it in and not be bashful. The biggest thing for me was sharing it with someone. And that's how I was led to different things and come to find out, oh, this person over here has it too. You know, so that's the biggest thing is just not not keeping it in. That's what I think Satan wants you to do is to keep it in and then and then to keep beating yourself up in your mind with your thoughts like, oh, I'm a loser. Like, oh, I shouldn't have done this and I shouldn't that and that, you know, don't should all over yourself, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's probably the biggest thing is tell someone about it, you know, and then that will lead to something else. You know, everyone's a little bit different with that. The way that I handled it is the way that I felt led to do for myself and other people. It's going to be a different way, you know, mm -hmm. but tell someone, talk to someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. What about, I mean, you referenced your addiction quite a bit. What advice would you have for somebody that's struggling with addiction in that way? I'm sure it's embarrassing to talk about with people. I'm sure that it feels like very isolating. I mean, based on what you said, like you kept that a secret for a long time and it was just eating you up. What advice would you have for somebody that is struggling with that? Well, for me, it was different phases. So in the beginning, it was sort of, it was all pride. And it's all like, oh, hey, it was like a conquest or something, right? Mm -hmm. And and then you get your self-esteem from that. So in the beginning, it's just, just like how Satan works. He feeds on your pride and you've got this big facade. You don't even realize that you're actually very insecure. And so it's kind of hard because you might be, it's different phases. Maybe you're in that phase where you don't even realize you got a problem and you think you're the man or whatever, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But then over time, when you start thinking about what I really want over here, and this is holding me back, then you kind of start realizing, oh, got a problem you know and that's the same thing like talk to someone about it my experience is it's better to talk with someone who knows that addiction mm -hmm. and talk with them that that's probably the better route to go also in terms of like going through an actual mental exercise of overcoming an addiction the 12-step program which is a place where you can that's the whole purpose is like finding people and together you're banding together to overcome your challenge that other people have too. Yeah, exactly. I should say this too. The reason why I found out I was panicking and I had all this anxiety was because so through one of my therapy, it was neurolinguistic programming that I figured this out. So in church one day, this young lady comes up, this was part of my process and I'm praying for help. And how do I overcome this? This is part of the two year thing. This young lady, and it was a big singles work. She comes up out of the blue. I don't think I've ever even talked to her. And she's, she said, hey, I feel like I need to talk to you about, I'm, I'm an understudy for this therapist that does neurolinguistic programming. And I'm getting trained and I need someone. She's like, for free, why don't you just come in? And I'm like, okay, well, if you've prayed and I've been praying and okay. So the short story is through neurolinguistic programming and Reiki, she did so she did Reiki and she would call me down and then talk about images that would come. And this thing with my mom what had been suppressed. The short story with that is I was able to 
subconsciously bring it to the surface, deal with it from as an adult, go back, forgive my mom, forgive myself. And that was when real healing began. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is the second thing is, man, if you're holding a grudge against someone, no matter how bad it was, and I know there's people that have had way worse things happen to them than I did. Mm -hmm. Well, number one, you have to forgive them mm -hmm. or else you're going to get eaten up. Mm-hmm. And you're not hurting anyone other than yourself right? if you're not forgiving someone. And number two, pray and God will guide you on how to do that. And I was able to do that. So that's where healing came. I was able to, I mean, it's still a process and work, but I was able to deal with committing <laughs> to someone and yeah. not running and not acting out on mm -hmm. young ladies. And, and like, I, I got that desire not to abuse women anymore because I dealt with that. That's awesome. I think that this is kind of, you know, going on in a different conversation, but my dad got called as the bishop maybe like, I don't know, five months ago or so. And watching him and all the responsibilities he has and all the people that go to him and all the things. When you talked about like how going to somebody else who understands, I think your bishop would probably encourage that. You know, like, I think your bishop would probably encourage you to find somebody that can, that truly understands because the amount of people the bishop is talking to with so many different situations. Like I think about, you know, LGBT people that go to their bishop and like bishops don't go through a training on how to handle every single situation that comes their way and like they're just people doing the best they can i think it's incredible that the church has the resources that it has to be able to help people that are struggling i feel like in the last you know maybe 10 years or so yeah there's a lot more resources it's mm -hmm. stuff that you know 20 years ago you didn't talk about you right. know like oh you got depression yep. like what mm -hmm. or whatever you know and i've seen mm -hmm. and worked with a lot of bishops over the years that that do lean on those resources and and yeah mm -hmm. so it's i feel it's a whole different thing now than it was 20 years ago we've come a long way i think as a church yeah and i mean just as a society when it comes to mental health yeah, for sure. Well, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Anything that you want to leave listeners with? The main thing is is to just, uh, God is real. He loves you. No matter what challenge you're going through, turn to him and he'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll send people. He'll put people on your path to save you, <laughs> really, mm -hmm. and, and lead you in the right way. And then you'll be his hands as well. And it's it's all true. It's good. God's mm -hmm. good. I love that so much. Well, thank you so much, Aaron, for coming on the podcast. Your story is amazing. And I know that it will help so many people. So thank you for being willing to share and be vulnerable and put it out there. Well, yeah, thank you as well. <laughs> it's good to meet you. It's good to meet you too. A lot of people have asked us how they can support the podcast. And we have created a Comeback Podcast merch line on our website, www.comebackpodcast.org. All of the money made from the merch goes right back into the podcast. So if you are interested in supporting the podcast um, and you want to purchase some merch, we would love it. Check it out.
Hey guys, first off, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you to all of you that support the podcast. We wouldn't be able to get this message out without all of your help, so thank you so much. I've had a few questions come in from people that aren't on social media, so I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have a website. It's www.comebackpodcast.org. You can find all of our episodes here. Um, There's a list of our book club selections, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. We love you guys so much.